the Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at LMFM.ie Thursday morning, the 6th of June. Good morning with much debate and discussion from now till 11am. This is Michael Reed on LMFM. Live from America's News Headquarters, I'm Trace Gallagher in Los Angeles. President Trump spending the night at his golf resort in Ireland during his first visit to the country as president. He insisted Brexit will not be a problem at all. The presidential visit to Dunbeg making international news as reported there by Fox News in the United States. But not all American reporters were as complimentary of the president. President meeting with the Irish Prime Minister in Ireland. The first words out of his mouth at that meeting are about how Ireland, you know, ought to have a wall on its border. Or don't you have a wall on your border? How's your wall? That's Rachel Maddow of MSNBC highlighting what she believed was an embarrassing gaffe by Donald Trump in Shannon Airport before he went on to Dunebeg yesterday where the chairperson of uh, the Development Association, John Flanagan, told Claire FM he was in for a very warm welcome. Well, there's a message all the area around here that all the residents, we've all the flags up, the Irish flags and the American flags and the bunting and there's uh, music in the streets this evening in in Dunbeg, uh, local musicians and a few other bits and there's music in the pubs as well afterwards. So for anyone that's around to the media to see what this is. Residents in Dunbeg hoping to see something of the Trumps and as it turned out, they weren't disappointed when the boys, Eric and Don Jr. came down for a couple of pints last night. The support around town from day one has been incredible, but it only growing stronger, so we really want to thank you for that because every time we're here, it feels such a warm welcome. Uh, it's truly amazing and you guys have been the best. It's, it's just really touching to us. Thank you guys so much. President Trump, of course, met with Taoiseach Leo Varadkar at Shannon Airport yesterday. Sean Defoe, our political correspondent, was in the room and he's on the line with us now. And a very good morning to you, Sean. Thanks for joining us. Before we talk about the wall or the border or Brexit or climate change or visas or any of these things, this was no ordinary press conference. And as seasoned a journalist as you are, did you feel starstruck at all? Well, it was my first time meeting the Donald as it was, so no, I can't say I felt starstruck. I've been in the White House before uh, to meet him, though, though it was strange to see the, there are actually four uh, U.S. Air Force Ones, as you could call them, those style of planes landing with the massive entourage that Donald Trump brought with him to Shannon Airport. It's, uh, there was a bit of a dispute going over whether they could all be called Air Force One. It's actually only called Air Force One if the president is on board, but it needed four rather large planes to fit his entire entourage and everyone that was uh, was coming with him landing. So, you know, not a very mm. climate-conscious arrival to to his visit, but uh, no, not too starstruck, I have to say. All right, well, uh, there's no problem with uh, the climate, uh, as we know from uh, the President's previous utterances and, indeed, uh, what he had to say yesterday about uh, the lovely clean air and crystal-clear water that there is in the United States. Yeah, he was asked about the criticism Michael D. Higgins had made of him before calling the USA's acts on climate change pernicious and, and reckless. And he said he hadn't heard the comments and they probably hadn't heard the comments, uh, but it, it launched into this defence that he's kind of lined up now every time that he's asked about climate or criticised for his record, saying that the air quality in the US is better than it's ever uh, been, is, is getting better under his presidency and basically saying she's doing a great job. And that was kind of the tenor. It was a strange mm. um, it was a strange press conference in many ways. 
because of his uh, tenure and uh, how he was uh, agreeable, I, I think, uh, with everything we wanted him to say. Uh, but, yeah, pretty much. I mean, he was yeah. he was happy to take questions. Uh, it's a strange one. When you talk to the Americans who follow him around in their press pool, they don't very often get a chance to ask questions uh, of the president. And yet yesterday he took, I mean, eight or nine mm. or ten questions quite comfortably and was happy that he didn't say a huge amount of actual substance in them, bar mm. one or two bits. There but was a, a lot of surprise that he took any questions. I think it was expected to be a photo call, was it? It was initially expected. There was kind of a... a some suspicion that he might, uh, and it's the same way that it works with the White House Day when they go in with the bowl of shamrock. Technically, there's no ever, ever no questions planned, and what happens is everyone gathers around for the photo call, and you you shout a question and you hope that he answers. And the last few times, he's certainly been in an agreeable enough mood. But talking to some of the Americans who cover him more regularly, there are times that he just shuts the entire things down and, and doesn't answer anything when someone tries to shout something. But yesterday, in a in a better mood for taking questions. Okay, and uh, of course, some of uh, the questions relating to Michael D. Higgins' criticism of him, uh, he hadn't uh, been aware of what our president had to say, apparently. No, you know, he hadn't heard that criticism uh, from Michael D. Higgins, but again, uh, launched into his, his fence of it, saying the, the air was clean and he was doing a good job in it, but he hadn't heard the criticism from Michael D. Higgins directly, and yet he, he still stood over his record, despite all four planes that came in, and uh, various other criticisms that could well be levelled to that. Now, the Taoiseach was asked about that later on again, mm. uh, and he said, obviously, he regrets that the USA has pulled out of the, the Paris climate accords and, and said to Trump during their bilateral private meeting that he would be going to further meetings that are on later in the year in relation to climate and hope that he would be there as well. But uh, we're not sure if we got any sort of a committal answer. Uh, and what about uh, his reassurances on, on Brexit? Did you sleep better last night? <laughs> well, so much better. It's going to be fine, according to, uh, to the Donald. Mm. We, why have we been worrying all along through the border? It's absolutely fine. Brexit's going to be a very, very good thing for Ireland. Um, I suppose Donald Trump tends to be, when he answers these sort of questions, influenced by the people he's talked to last. That, that's the general thinking of people who spend a bit more time around him. And he has spent the last few days in the UK listening to the Brexiteers in particular who are running in the Tory party leadership race who are saying, ah, oh, you know, don't be worrying too much about that border. They're not too concerned about it there anyway. Um, and that the, the things will be okay. So when it comes to the Brexit discussion, obviously the, the talking point became about the border because he did seem to compare it to the border that he's trying to build down in uh, with Mexico, which kind of startled the T-shirt straight away. You could see, as he mentioned, just in the upper outcome route very quickly to go, well, actually, no, we, we that's the opposite of what we want. We don't want any infrastructure put up and we want it to be kept free moving. And mm. Donald Trump said, oh, yes, yes, of course, I understand that. Uh, but you'd wonder how much he does understand it. Now, they did talk about it further on in the meeting and that the general gist of that was that not a huge amount of, is going to be done on Brexit or can be done on Brexit until the Tory leadership race is over. So they didn't get into a huge amount of detail. And we did ask the Taoiseach if, given that Donald Trump is so sure that everything is going to be fine, did he provide any solutions as to how we might deal with that border problem or deal with the trade deal or whatever? And uh, he said no, he didn't provide any, any sort of concrete solution that we might take forward. Uh, over in America, they're talking about uh, his attitude uh, towards immigration and uh, the tariffs on Mexico. He was asked about Irish emigrants uh, and uh, these E3 visas that are available to Australians. Yeah, I think that's probably the most positive thing that we could take from an Irish point of view from that press conference. We, 
didn't get a chance to ask him about it. And this E3 visa, I suppose, for people who don't know, it's one that was specially set up for Australians to come. There's 10,000 of them provided every year. And it is essentially for skilled workers, skilled migrants to come over with their family and they can stay two years and then reapply on a rolling basis. And it's pretty easy. It's compared to some of the other hoops people have to jump through to get visas for the US. It's a pretty straightforward regime and works pretty well. But the Americans don't use, the, or the Australians rather, don't use their full allocation of it. They use about 6,000 of them a year. And the effort and the push in the last few years has been to give Ireland access to the remainder, to the 4,000 or 3,000 or however many it was a year. And there's quite a big support for it in the US last year. It came to a vote in, uh, I think it passed overwhelmingly in the House and came to a vote in Congress then that was held up by one uh, particular congressman. Donald Trump said yesterday that he'd been having talks with that uh, that congressman to try and get it over, that he believed that they could get it over the line and he wanted to see it uh, get over the line and those visas to be given to Irish people as well. So that's quite positive mm. sounding that might actually happen sometime in the future. Okay, well, uh, I'm not sure if it's a dress code uh, when you attend uh, these press conferences, uh, Sean, but uh, I believe the Taoiseach noticed how one reporter was dressed in a, an orange blouse and a green skirt. <laughs> yeah, this is one reporter from the the Irish Daily Mail, who have gone very festive for it. Typically, you know, you try to tone it down, maybe wear a green tie or something to, you know, show yeah. these sort of occasions. But, uh, yeah, I didn't... Uh, the, the way the room was structured, the, the conversation happened on the far side of the room, very hard to hear anything. Mm. But apparently Donald Trump did uh, did see it and noted it and uh, and uh, had a bit of a back and forth with that, that mm. reporter. And as, as, I, as I understand with the papers this morning, he was asking the reporter uh, if she was nice to the Taoiseach, and uh, the Taoiseach said, well, I'm not sure if she's nice, uh, but she's fair, apparently. Uh, so, fair, yeah, you'd hope maybe not nice is not the word we're using to, for reporters trying to hold the Taoiseach to account, but uh, I, I, I know the reporter quite well, and she is both fair and does, does ask the hard questions. Very well. good, very good. Well, uh, as we heard Fox News report there, uh, the President uh, will leave this morning to go to Normandy uh, and uh, will uh, obviously uh, take part in uh, the D-Day commemorations uh, but he, he'll be back uh, to Dune Beg tonight and uh, there will be a gala dinner with uh, a lot of officials and dignitaries uh, attending. Uh, meanwhile uh, protests uh, will take place in Dublin in particular today. Yeah that's right there's going to be well, what is planned or built certainly is quite a big protest in Dublin and we're going to see the the blimp, the blimp that became so famous in London last year, the six metre tall, big baby Donald Trump blimp will be over the the streets of Dublin. Now the protests here were actually relatively modest yesterday for most of the day. There wasn't a huge amount of people outside of Shannon. It was hard to see leaving yesterday as we were brought a different route, but there seemed to be a couple of hundred protesters and some scattered around doing beg as well. But also supporters, it has to be said. There were some people out who were supportive of Donald Trump, some locals as well, who say he's done great things for the economy. And the, mm. the two uh, Trump boys who were out last night, Eric and, and Donald Jr., got a, a great reception as they, they toured around the bars of Beg and were buying rounds for people in all of the different pubs around there and, and got an absolutely great reception from people. So you'd have to say there has been a mixed reaction. It will be interesting to see if we get more of a protest today and just how many turn up to that. I know Junior Minister Finian McGrath has said mm. 
he'll be among those protesting, but certainly among the people who travelled down to Shannon yesterday, it wasn't exactly a, an overwhelming crowd, not like the scenes that we saw in London, for example, of a, a rejection of Donald Trump's visit. But there was a very warm reception, as you say, for the boys, uh, and I'm sure Eric and Don Jr. will go back to Don Sr. and uh, tell the Donald that the people would love to meet him. Uh, there is a small chance that that will happen tomorrow morning before he plays his round of golf. Yeah, it could well happen. So the itinerary is obviously, as you mentioned today, he's off in France for the Z-Day commemorations, comes back tonight for a dinner, and that'll all be quite private and in Dune Bay. And then tomorrow, you never really know. I mean, speaking to the, the manager in the Dune Bay Hotel, he says Donald Trump does actually very much like to mingle with guests and mingle with people who are around. So he's going to go and play his round of golf, and he could even go into the town, go in for a cup of coffee or something. He doesn't drink, as I understand mm. it. Um, so he's not, I don't think he'll be going around buying <laughs> buying rounds in the pub on Friday night or anything. But um, there is a certain expectation in the town that they may well see him down around there yet, but maybe it'll just have to set up for being bought rounds by his two sons instead. OK, well, perhaps uh, we'll see Donald Trump with a hurley stick yet. Uh, we'll leave it there for the moment, though, Sean. Thank you very much indeed uh, for joining us. Uh, that's our political correspondent, Sean Defoe. Michael Reed on LMFM. Wherever you may roam this weekend, uh, it probably won't be in the vicinity of Slane unless you have a, a ticket and, of course, traffic restrictions and so forth will be in place. Sergeant Ronan Farley of Navangarda Station joins us ahead of uh, the big Metallica concert this weekend. And a very good morning to you and uh, thanks for coming in to highlight uh, some of uh, the obstacles, if you will, that people can expect over the course of the weekend. Good morning, Michael, and thank you for having me in. Um, <clears throat> it is a big event this weekend. We expect a crowd of about 75,000 coming into Slane for the Metallica concert. Our, our overall mission is simply to ensure the safety of all local residents and the large number of people who will be attending the concert. So the Garda plan will commence tomorrow night. We'll have extra Garda on duty in the village. This will be built up by degrees into early on Saturday morning and reaching full strength by around 12 noon on Saturday. And we'll maintain that full presence in the village and surrounding areas until the early hours of Sunday morning, yeah. uh, around 2am or so. <coughs> so if I just uh, could go through a few Please different do. points. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Um, first of all, in terms of traffic and uh, local residents in particular mm. will be concerned about this. And they'll um, have permits, I take it. But you won't get yeah. into the village. I think that's usually the way, isn't it? Unless you have a, a permit. All local mm. residents yeah. mm-hmm. uh, have a mm. residence pass. And mm. if, if they haven't got that yet, they should contact Slane Garda Station today uh, if they can. Mm. And that entitles them to fully walk around the village. They won't be restricted or stopped. In terms of driving... Um, all true traffic uh, through Slane will be stopped from 7am on Saturday morning but local people can still uh, drive around if there's last minute tasks or messages to do at 10am then we have to stop all traffic in the village now having said that residents will still be accommodated in two car parks uh, one at the cemetery on the Grangegeat Road they can access that car park all day long via the Grangegeat Road so they can come and go park the car at that car park and we have a second facility on the Drogheda Road at the Slane Print premises. So residents can come and go throughout mm. the day up until about 10pm. And at that stage, unfortunately, we have to stop all traffic as people will be coming out of the concert venue. Now, if local people are trying to travel from Drogheda to Navan, we advise that they go through the Dulik Kentstown direction. Um, and then travelling north-south, traffic will be diverted at Cullen through Drogheda, rejoining the N2 at Kilmoon Cross. 
<clears throat> in terms of concert goers, Michael, then we strongly urge people to use public transport as much as they can. Mm. Now, there are shuttle buses from Navan and Drogheda. Uh, from Drogheda, the bus will start at 12.30 at the bus station. It leaves every half hour up until 5 p.m. Um, from Navan, it starts at 1 p.m. from the Market Square and it leaves every 15 minutes up to 5.30 p.m. So this really mm-hmm. is the best way to get in and out of Slane on Saturday. Indeed, and there's a, a number of private operators who are offering bus journeys to and from as well. Yes, yeah. from mm-hmm. practically every main town in Ireland there's but private if, coach if operators. But if you decide to drive yourself, uh, is there parking? There, are, there is parking. Um, we would encourage you to at least try and carpool if you can mm. to reduce the number of cars on the day. You don't want 75,000 cars arriving. We do the not. Road, no. <laughs> um, we have <laughs> car parks on all the four main approach roads. Now, this is a slight variation from the last concert. We had no parking on the Dublin Road for cars. We do have this year. Now, the car parks are colour-coded, so people need to try and remember where to park the car, what, what, what colour the car park is. So on the Navan Road, it's the red car park. Dublin Road is the green car park. On the Cullen Road, it's blue. And on the Drogheda Road, it's the pink car park. And no matter what colour your car park is, uh, remember where you've parked in the car park. In other words, if you park in an empty field, which is the red car park, rest assured that when you come back, it's going to be full of cars and it'll look very different. Correct. That's yeah. good mm-hmm. advice, Michael, mm-hmm. yes. Um, we also encourage people to try and arrive early. Sometimes people arrive late and then there's a build-up maybe around tea time. There's long mm. queues getting in. Everybody's going to be searched entering the concert venue. So that will take a bit of time. So we'd encourage people to arrive early. It's a day-long event. Gates open at 2pm. So, you know, we'd like people to mm. arrive in a, a leisurely fashion, not under any pressure or not rushing. Is it much of a walk from the car parks to the venue? Uh, it is a walk. I yeah. mean, that's okay. the nature, that's the geography yeah. of Slane. Mm. Uh, there mm. will be a walk. Um, but um, the official car parks, there's good security in them, mm. there's toilet facilities, there's good lighting at night time. Yep. So we would advise people to use the official car parks. And I understand you can pre-book online and that's, it does a discount option there if you pre-book online. That assists us in that we know how many cars are going to each car park. Okay. Very good. There's also, Michael, mm. some set down and pick up points again on each of the four approach roads. If you're dropping uh, yes. somebody else off. Correct. Yeah. Or if you're picking mm-hmm. somebody up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Now, if you're picking somebody up after the concert, you have to be uh, at that location by 10 pm. We can't allow traffic in to Slane after 10 pm mm. because people will start coming out of the site and we just can't have pedestrians and vehicles mixing. Mm. So there's no problem there as long as you're in by 10 pm. And that applies to taxi people as well. If they're dropping people off, they're the designated pick-up and drop-off points on each of the four main approach roads. Mm. Uh, we also, of course, remind people to dress appropriately for the weather. Mm. The forecast is going to be great. wellies, wellies this weekend. Looks by like the looks it. of it, yeah. Looks uh, like it. And all people want to do is get in. Uh, but as you said, you're going to be searching everybody going in. Uh, yes. Uh, and uh, what are you allowed to take in and not allowed to take in? Uh, well, you can't take in alcohol. That's the first of thing. Any description, even of in plastics or anything like that? No. no. That'll okay. be checked, mm. and that'll be mm. checked at the outer barriers, and also checked again as mm. you enter the concert field itself. Um, naturally uh, you can't take any weapons or anything like that mm. there's a list of what items are prohibited um, on the MCD website and also on the Garda website mm. so it's a fairly lengthy list I'd advise yeah. people just to look that up um, <coughs> small rucksacks will mm. be permitted but again they will be all searched as you go into the field okay um, 
Also, we'd advise people if you're going in groups, and naturally most people will be accompanied by a friend or a group of friends. If you get separated, have a plan where to meet. Don't rely on mobile phones on mm. the day because mm. coverage might fail. Yeah, uh, quite often does because pressure. of the equipment. Yeah. Correct. <laughs> in the middle of the concert field, there is a meeting point. Mm. So agree, if we get separated, we'll meet up again there and that'll solve a problem. In terms of crime prevention advice, um, look after your property in particular your mobile phone and your cash just beware of pickpockets yeah. we, we don't tend to have too many problems at Slane mm. um, but if your wallet or your phone is taken it causes a lot, a lot of disruption we we have intelligence from a, a UK police force last week of an individual operating at a similar musical festival and he stole 68 mobile phones <laughs> oh at the God, concert. God. So, My God. Mm. You know, Not at all funny, but you just uh, yeah. caught me by surprise. Yeah, yeah. Determined mm. criminals can yeah. cause a lot mm. of havoc. So just mind your phone, mind your cash. Okay. Um, there are ATM facilities in the field on the day mm. if you need extra cash. And uh, to simply obey the Gardaí and the stewards, mm. If there's anything you see that doesn't look right or you're concerned about, just notify a guard or a steward and we look mm. after that. Okay. And it's going to be a long day, but there'll be bars and uh, there'll be food and there'll be toilets yeah. and all that, but there'll also be queues, so be patient as well, of course. Correct, the course correct. Of the day, and we yeah. just want people to, you know, enjoy the day, uh, drink responsibly, you know. There's yeah. no problem people mm-hmm. having a drink, yeah, but yeah. when people end up lying on the side of the road, virtually unconscious, mm. that's not a good yeah. experience. And patience is order of the day, I think, for a slain concert, particularly when it's over, because because uh, yes, it's, it's a, a very restricted route in and yeah. out and uh, there will be delays and you'll Just take a long to take time your time at yeah. the end of the concert mm. there's a fireworks display mm. and um, that's a very pleasant thing to yes. watch mm. but you know just take your time leaving the field there's plenty of time generally the concert site is, is emptied in 40 or 45 mm. minutes and we just want everybody to get home safely, take their time, drive mm. safely. Obviously, if you're driving, don't drink or take drugs. That's very important. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just want people to have to enjoy the day and have happy memories of their day at Slane. OK, very good. Uh, and uh, as you say, uh, don't take drugs. Uh, Gardaí will be watching out for that. Uh, and uh, whilst you're with us, uh, a couple of uh, successful seizures, uh, one in Stamullen and a grow house discovered in Navin <coughs> in the last 24 hours. That's correct, Michael. Two fairly significant seizures. Uh, the first one on Tuesday evening at Mill Lane in Stamullen. A house was searched. Uh, five and a half kilos of cannabis uh, was seized there and 22 cannabis plants. And one man has been charged and brought before the court. That seizure was carried out by our divisional drugs unit, which was uh, recently expanded and is very mm. active. And last or yesterday evening, we had another drug seizure in Navan in the Woodlands Estate. Uh, we had uh, approximately €70,000 worth of cannabis plants seized and a male in his 20s is in custody in Navangarda Station as we speak. And, uh, you know, we would remind people at any stage, if they have any concerns about uh, drug distribution or drug dealing, they can talk to us in strict confidence. Mm. They can also ring the Garda confidential line. They don't have to give their name. Just pass on the information. We will deal with the rest of it. Very good. Thank you indeed, Sergeant Ronan Farrelly of Navangarda Station. Now we're going to go back uh, to coverage of uh, the Trump visit uh, to Ireland and indeed to the UK. We heard a, a little bit of Rachel Maddow on MSNBC a, a little bit earlier on uh, and uh, she has uh, 
been quite critical of uh, the president and how he's been behaving here and across uh, the water. Uh, the family will probably have a photograph in Doombeg. It's a family portrait uh, that was uh, taken in Buckingham Palace and uh, Rachel Maddow was talking about this on MSNBC last night. Uh, there is a punchline at the end uh, which you may want to listen to. This is quite funny. U.S. taxpayers just paid for all of the president's adult children and their spouses to be brought to Great Britain to meet the royal family and attend all the state dinner stuff, despite the fact that they have no role in the government. I mean, Jared and Ivanka have a role in the government. The other Trump adult children and children-in-law don't have a role in the U.S. government. So what are they doing there at taxpayer expense participating in all of these events? Now, we showed this image last night. What we did not notice when we showed this image last night is that all of the Trump adult children in this photograph are posing for these photographs directly in front of a sign at Buckingham Palace that says, no photography allowed. (laughs) But hey, who cares? You know, it's somebody else's house. We are the Trumps. We are here. You deal with it. Thank you for having us. (laughs) Are we invited back? Um, Last night on the show, we had also tried to sound a little bit of a warning about the possible weirdness of the president's trip to Ireland today after he left the UK. Um, You'll recall that President Trump had tried to demand that the Irish prime minister should meet him at the Trump golf course in Ireland so that not just the government of the United States, but the government of Ireland would also be roped into a free infomercial advertising the location and amenities of the president's for-profit golf club in Ireland. Um, which, frankly, apparently needs the boost. Financially, that golf course has been sort of a disaster. Uh, The Irish government declined the opportunity to help President Trump market his golf course. They said, no, we are not going to send the prime minister there. They instead offered a nearby castle where other foreign leaders have paid official visits in the past. The White House apparently did not like that idea. And so we knew it was going to be a little weird today when we found out that the president's meeting with the prime minister was going to be literally at the VIP lounge at the Shannon Airport. Yeah, there you go. That's uh, how MSNBC have been reporting on Donald Trump's visit here and in the UK, obviously, where the family had that photograph taken in front of uh, the no photography sign. That's uh, Rachel Maddow. We hope to hear a little bit more of her coverage a little bit later on in the programme today. Michael Reed on LMFM. Uh, some 10,000 staff uh, across uh, 38 of uh, the country's hospitals, including the three local hospitals, are to go on strike for 24 hours on the 20th of June. It's the first of potentially a number of one-day strikes, and it'll include healthcare assistants, porters, household and catering staff, and maternity care assistants, laboratory aides, uh, surgical instruments, technicians, and and chefs. Let's talk about this with Paul Bell of SIP2 uh, Health Division. A very good morning to you and thanks good morning, for coming Michael. in to us uh, here this Pleasure morning. As always. Uh, uh, I suppose uh, you had put the government on warning. Uh, you had said uh, that you had this issue that was unresolved, pay that had been recognised as being needed to be increased, mm-hmm. but uh, that it hadn't been acted on and that the pay hadn't been paid to the people that we're talking about, the 10,000 mm-hmm. members. Uh, and now you've decided to go on full-out strike. Why such uh, a, a strong reaction or beginning to uh, industrial action? Right. Well, Michael, first of all, this is not a reaction. Mm. Uh, this is a response to a government strategy since 2015 
having signed up under the Public Service Stability Agreement the reintroduction of job evaluation. Mm. And just to explain that, job evaluation was available to clerical officers, which is a different scheme operated by comrades in Forza, and the support staff job evaluation process is a matter for SIP2 and the health service executive. Uh, during the economic crisis, understandably, uh, the job evaluation schemes were suspended. Uh, which means that nobody could actually seek an evaluation no matter how hard they were working, what responsibility did they took up. They just couldn't have that job evaluated. Mm. 2015, we signed up to the agreement, Public Service Stability Agreement, Lansdowne Road 1. 2016, there was almost a national dispute because the government wouldn't move. Mm. The HSE were prepared to do the, the deal with us to actually you know, start working on the evaluations. Following the intervention in 2016 of the Workplace Relations Commission, a document was drafted which we walked towards. That Even that agreement has been frustrated, but nevertheless, we managed not to have a strike and we managed to get to the point where the evaluation results came back in October 2018, phase one mm. and phase two, which was mainly predominantly healthcare assistants, laboratory aides, surgical mm. uh, instrument technicians, people like that. So this has been agreed. It, it, Absolutely. It's a, a pay increase that yeah. is due and overdue uh, as such. Absolutely. Uh, and you had put the government on warning uh, that mm-hmm. you were prepared to take industrial action. Uh, but last time you were in with us, uh, I think you were suggesting that that could take many forms, uh, that there could be a work to rule, that there could yeah. be one-hour stoppages, that there could be rolling stoppages, yes. uh, that you wouldn't bring the country to a standstill. Yeah. Now you're suggesting to the government that if uh, they don't move on this, you're going to close all 38 hospitals. Well, the government are going to close all 38 hospitals, Michael. That's what they're Mm. going to do if they don't come to the table and resolve this issue. The bizarre issue that we're facing is that the health service executive and the Department of Health accept the findings of the job evaluation process. Now, just think about that. The employer is saying, we accept that. Those monies are owed to those people. They've gone through an independent process. Mm. And by the way, more importantly... They've worked strictly within the terms of the Public Service Agreement and the Workplace Relations Commission Agreement, 2015-2016. These monies should have been paid in 2017, uh, but we we kept walking through the process. Now, our members understand the scheme that's been operated, mm. which basically means when the outcome comes from about, uh, I think it's about eight weeks from there, it has to, the results have to be accepted or not, and then payments are due. And the big problem for us is that uh, the Department of Public Expenditure Reform uh, met us on two occasions in the presence of the Department of Health and the Health Service Executive. Uh, and their demeanour and attitude to this dispute, mm. this claim, has been basically, well, we pay you when we see fit, uh, and you're not a priority for us, and basically your members are not essential to the operating of the health service. But they are. My yes. God. I mean, I yeah. think a lot of people would confuse healthcare assistants with nurses on wards. They, they do because of yeah. the nature of their mm. work. Now, that's, that's what's being communicated to us. And I'll stand anywhere and say that. Uh, in fact, I'm hoping to say it quite soon, uh, should there be any further engagement between the parties. Mm. Uh, what we're demonstrating today with the issuing of that type of industrial action is to say to, from our members, well, if we're not there, mm. will you miss me? And that's what we're but saying. Can, can you not do that incrementally over a period of time? Why such a, a strong starting position? Why a, a full, full-on, mm. all-day strike? Because this is a very in all se- institutions. Because this is a very serious dispute, and this is a, a dispute, by the way, that's been 
well flagged, mm. well can communicate to government. They chose to ignore that. And remember something. But they else. would miss you if you stopped for an hour. Well, or if you stopped for a day in one hospital well, rather than thirty-eight well, hospitals. Look, that's you know. debatable. I, mm. I don't accept yeah. that point. For for our members to get into this position, our members predominantly around the country involving those mm. hospitals. And by the way, there's other. But you're, you're you're effectively putting a gun to their head, aren't you? I no. mean, you're saying to them, uh, "We're going to close the hospitals down, or else no. you do as we say." No, the gun has been put to our head. Be very clear about this. Uh, the Department of Public Expenditure Reform, and I keep saying them because at the end of the day, in last year's estimates mm. in tw- for 2019, the HSE communicated to the department this issue needs to be resolved. Monies need mm. to be made available. You don't believe it's an issue for the Department of Health as such? No. It's for spending? It's for spending. Oh, no, mm. it's for spending. Mm. Now, the, go- the government can spend money on various things within health. But at the end of the day, this was owed. This was well flagged. And by the way, Michael, in the overall budget, let's be very clear, mm. one group of people who are, hard, are all hardworking people, like, for instance, chefs, there's about a thousand of those people working in the health service. Their jobs have basically been totally changed, even as late as yesterday. They have statutory regulation mm. now governing them. Uh, they're owed 2.9 million per annum. Uh, 2.9 million per annum. Like you've had programmes here talking about the expenditure of the HSE. Mm. These are people you cannot recruit easily. You can't attract into the uh, into the industry easily. You have very ferocious competition from the private sector for that group of people. The next issue then is for the support staff. About 6,000 of them are actually owed money now, mm. right now. It's 16.2 million per annum. We're saying... A we, year. Yeah, per year. Yeah. Per and year. I, I, I suppose to put that into the context yeah. of uh, the Trump visit, 10 million on security. Well, I mean, mm-hmm. I listened to a program yesterday that talked to me about the amount of money that can be spent on such matters and uh, the, the, how poorly paid that our military are, mm. who are also public servants. Mm-hmm. But to be very clear, this type of behaviour is not acceptable because if, if we don't get into this dispute, we feel that our members will not be respected. Now... The communications from the health service executive so far, they're obviously concerned about this dispute. Mm. We're concerned about it. Um, we want to do a deal. We want to make it quite clear to people out there. We do not wish to be involved in strike action. SIP2 is an, is an organisation that have always managed to negotiate settlements to disputes. Well, you have two weeks, or the we government two, has two weeks. It's we, two weeks from today or, that yeah, you're talking about. But remember something, Michael. Up to this point, mm. the government had three years three years mm. to resolve this dispute. Okay, so over the course of the next fortnight, there is that window yes. to meet, uh, yes. if not find a, a resolution. Uh, but uh, if the strike goes ahead mm. and there's no resolution in sight, what then? Well, what will happen then is that there'll, there'll be two things that will happen. Sorry, Michael. First of all, the, the dispute will be escalated. There'll be two days the following week and three days after that. But in the meantime, hospitals that are not involved in this dispute will also be balloted. Remember, we chose 38 facilities on this occasion. There are other hospitals that we preferred to say, look, mm. you know, we, we think that that should be a last resort. Mm. Uh, at the end of the day, all disputes are resolved, Michael. Mm. And uh, for our listeners, uh, if yeah. they have a, a, an appointment, let's say, mm. in Our Lady of Lourdes yes. or in Our Ladies in Navin yeah. or the Loud County Hospital, yes. all three hospitals are going to be affected. Mm-hmm. If they have a, uh, uh, an appointment in one of them or one of the Dublin hospitals, yes. which is quite, which, often, which the quite case, often the case, yes. uh, they can expect that it will be cancelled if this strike goes ahead. I well, I don't know whether it's mm. going to be cancelled, but mm. there, there will be some impact. Now, remember something. Mm. Government have basically said that our members are not required. Mm. That's what they've always said. Like, that might be in a bit of bravado. The health service executives are making it quite clear. Actually, sorry, these people may not be mentioned on a daily basis working in the health services. But now we're going to see the effect 
or non-effect of those people providing services. The one thing that we won't do, Michael, but let's be very clear about that, we will not be involved in any action which endangers patients. Uh, there may be inconvenience, mm-hmm. but we'll not do anything that will endanger a patient. Mm-hmm. Air dispute is not with the patient. However, there's a, there's a tendency in these kind of interviews to believe that only the trade union are having this dispute. Only the trade union are causing this dispute. Um, there's, an, there's an element of arrogance uh, and disconnect from the Department of Public Expenditure Reform to say, well, we're going to let this drift. Okay. So hopefully it won't. But as to make the step we made yesterday is significant. Okay, we'll uh, talk about it, I'm sure, uh, before the 20th. And thanks for coming Thank in to us uh, this morning. Paul Bell, SIP2 Health Division Organiser. Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now let's find out what you've been saying to us. Marie Kearns uh, joins us with some of uh, the calls and text messages that have been coming to us this morning. Good morning to you, Marie. Good morning, Michael, and good morning to everybody listening in. Still lots of reaction to Trump's visit, Michael. Some from yesterday and some coming in today. Um, a listener phoned in, didn't want to give his name, but says, Michael, Donald Trump was in Dunbeg yesterday. Uh, there's reports that there were 1,500 uniformed guardy on duty. How can they get 1,500 when they say they are short of Gardaí. They can't even have a local Gardaí in the local stations, but yet they can get 1,500 mm. to be there for the President coming. Quite remarkable, isn't it? Yes. Mm. Uh, another listener says, "I'd." Uh, this is Pat from Balbriggan, says, I'd love to know all these people that are out protesting against Trump, how do they get time of work on a Wednesday or a Thursday? Or do they work at all? Are they professional protesters? I'm wondering. Mm. That's from Pat. There you go. A caller mm. wonders why our President Michael D. Higgins didn't meet Trump. All he had to do was fly down to Shannon, she says. She thinks that Shannon was a better place for, for them all to meet because do, do, all of Dublin would have been shut down if Trump was to go to the Irish. There okay. you go. Mm. Annette from Mornington phoned in yesterday during the show and she says that she is absolutely over the moon that Trump is coming to Ireland mm. uh, and she wishes our own president was half like him. She'd love um, our president to welcome him. She'd say if she was, she says if she was there, she'd give him a million welcomes. Mm. Uh, Jack says, Michael, are you not supposed to be neutral on issues like Trump? It's easy to see that you don't like Trump that's okay, but you shouldn't be bringing your personal views into it, okay. says Jack. I think it's uh, Kim Jong-un who I'm supposed to be neutral over uh, and uh, I don't want to tell you that I'm not too fond of uh, the North Korean leader. The thing about the wall is, who are we going to get to play for it? Will uh, the uh, Northern Ireland Protestants uh, have to pay for it, the Orange Order, or should we get the Tories uh, to pay for this wall? This is uh, the wall that uh, the President was yes. talking uh, about on the island of Ireland uh, something that was picked up on again we'll listen to some of the coverage from MSNBC We'll be discussing uh, various things, probably you'll ask me about Brexit because I, I just left uh, some very good people that are very much involved with Brexit as you know and I think that'll all work out, it'll all work out very well and also for you with your wall, your border uh, I mean we have a border situation in the United States and you have one over here. But I hear it's going to work out very well. With your wall, with your border, the president meeting with the Irish Prime Minister in Ireland, the first words out of his mouth at that meeting are about how Ireland, you know, ought to have a wall on its border. Or don't you have a wall on your border? How's your wall? Have you guys thought about your border? I mean... 
Just erase your mind for a second. Forget everything you might have ever heard or ever known about Ireland and Northern Ireland. Like, right? I mean, any political sensitivities, right? Even if you bleach your brain to the point where nothing is left in terms of cognizance of what might potentially be a sensitive subject there, Even still, in this hypothetically lobotomized state right now where you have had your brain wiped of all knowledge about Ireland, Northern Ireland, and the question of potential border wall there, you still, with this hypothetical lobotomy, would still not sit down with the Irish prime minister and suggest first words out of your mouth. Hey, you know, your border wall is going to be awesome. It's not like Ireland and Northern Ireland have ever had an issue around that border There's never been any sort of conflict there, right? Ireland, Northern Ireland, that's all been cool. First thing he said, I mean, part of the Brexit disaster is that if the UK leaves the European Union, well, Northern Ireland is part of the UK. And so in Brexit, particularly no-deal Brexit, Northern Ireland will go with the UK when they leave the European Union. Northern Ireland will leave the European Union. And of course, Ireland is still in the European Union. So if the UK presses ahead with Brexit, particularly the way the president wants them to, which is no deal, catastrophic Brexit, one of the potential consequences of that is that the Northern Ireland six counties, right, will no longer be in the European Union while Ireland is still in the European Union. And that means the border, the dividing line, the customs line between Europe and not Europe, between the EU and not the EU, could be the line between Ireland and Northern Ireland, where there is not a wall today. And that's very hard one, where the disputed idea of a border between the six counties in the north and the rest of the counties in the south has quite recently, within, you know, my lifetime, been the cause of thousands of lives lost. There's a woman who has a handle on uh, the consequences of a hard border on this island to Rachel Maddow of MSNBC. Not impressed at all at how her president, Donald Trump, doesn't seem to understand that we're not talking about building a wall on this island. It wasn't a great choice of words, really, wasn't mm, Michael? No. John says, love him or hate him, he is the American president and should be made welcome to Ireland. His country is providing huge support to Ireland in terms of of employment, tourism, etc., and is the home to many Irish emigrants. People should put their differences aside for now. Mm. So that's his thoughts on it. However, another listener says not to keep harping on about Trump, but the fact that there are Irish people willing to welcome a person that commits human rights and environmental atrocities shows not only a complete lack of morals, but a lack of backbone also. There's no playing nice with facets. Facets. What's the said word? Fascists. 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 Okay. (laughs) Uh, There's a phrase, you cannot shake the hand of the devil and say only kidding. And I think Irish people need to open their eyes and stop being passive passive in what he stands for. Okay, well, there's been a a lot of concern since uh, Donald Trump uh, took office over Ireland's corporation tax rate and how we facilitate tax avoidance in this country because uh, the President has been very vocal about that and bringing back uh, American companies and so on. Yesterday he said, oh sure, it's no problem at all, you're doing a great job on the low corporation tax rate Uh, and uh, this is being playing out in America. Of course, uh, he uh, gets very 
positive coverage from Fox News and it's one of the issues uh, that they've been talking about. We'll take a, a little listen to what Fox had to say uh, because uh, the issue there that's uh, dominating discourse is uh, the immigration from Mexico uh, and how the president is planning to uh, apply tariffs to Mexican goods. Talking about the plans to put those tariffs on Mexico unless they take action in the migrant in the south border. Um, He was addressing that. He was talking about trade with Ireland, though, as well, and how he likes to have Ireland as a trading partner, that their taxes are so much lower that it's a great model to follow. And it's important to remember that he was talking trade as well with the U.K. yesterday and saying that when they go through Brexit, we would be happy to be their trading partner. So he's kind of talking about the good trading partners and then the partners that we're having challenges with right now as those talks are going on in Washington and he's over in the UK with trading partners that he feels like he's on better footing with trying to make that contrast out there. Um, do you want to hit just a couple more points? Yeah, that he just made? a couple. There was a lot in uh, that press conference. Well, just to kind of as background to what the president yeah. was talking about with with trade, the United States accounts for nearly three quarters of the foreign investment into Ireland. Okay. So he called the prime minister of Redcar a friend. He also considers that country, as you were mentioning, somewhat of a template for doing business with corporations. The U.S. is the single largest source of foreign direct investment in Ireland with more than 700 American companies employing an estimated 160,000 people. So that's the backdrop to whatever friendship between the countries might exist and potential for for trade. I want to know your thoughts, though, on where we are uh, with the conversation about trade. Two countries we've already hit on this trip. Yeah, well, look, trade is obviously the dominating topic here, and not just because of all of the unresolved situation with the China talks, with the EU, now with Mexico, but because of what it means for the greater economy. And I think that the biggest ace in this president's hand going into the 2020 election has been the strength of the economy. There you go. And when uh, they're talking about uh, the economy on Fox News and Ireland being a good trading partner, well then, maybe it's a good day's work uh, for the country's reputation uh, in having Donald Trump here, or maybe not. Well, Patrick got in touch via our Facebook page to Mm. say thanks, Donald, for my American job here. It pays for my house, my car, my holidays, food bills, etc. Keep the jobs coming. Elizabeth says, great news for Ireland that Donald Trump is coming here. People protesting have nothing better to do. They should be at work. America has been good two Irish people all over the years. Owen was listening in yesterday and he says that the reading out of that anonymous extinction rebellion letter exemplifies the unquestioning, wildly alarmist media hype on the climate issue. It's the junk science that Trump and other sceptics disbelieve in, not that climate has and always will change, independently of the relatively minimal impact humans have, especially when it comes to emitting the trace gas, carbon dioxide, the hysterical attitude of those clamouring on the climate bandwagon is the eco-equivalent of moving statues, oh says Owen. God, right. Yeah. <laughs> That's God, his thoughts on mighty. it. Mighty, <laughs> yeah. There's uh, one of those climate change deniers, if ever. Well, well, well put together uh, nonsense. <laughs> okay. Thanks for getting in touch with that. Um, uh, well, well, thanks for getting in touch with that well put together nonsense. <laughs> 
just moving from Donald Trump to slaying concerts, Ken was listening in uh, to your interview there and says that he hopes that lighting, there's better lighting on the roads out of Slane this year because thinks that the lighting needs to be improved as people leave the site because it's dark and and there's a lot of people moving. And uh, then on your interview with Paul Bell in relation to the strike for the health support workers, Mm -hmm. Sandra says that unfortunately, as in the case with nurses, sometimes the only way to get what you want and what you deserve is to take strike action, even though nobody wants to do it. Okay, interesting Leave it stuff. at that. All right, thanks uh, for that. And thanks to everybody who has been in touch with us. If you'd like to add to what's been said, as always, we'd love to hear from you. And Marie will be happy to take your call, as will Ross. Uh, both are manning the phones uh, this morning, and our telephone number is 1850 715 Michael, Michael Reed on, on LMFM. Now, Peter Fitzpatrick, Independent TD for Loud, has come into us. We're going to talk about uh, pay in uh, the Defence Forces. Good morning to you, Peter, and thanks uh, for coming in uh, this morning. Uh, before we do, to put it into context, uh, maybe we can talk about the Trump visit or the security surrounding the Trump visit. 1,500 Gardaí, 16 dogs, 10 horses, and three kilometres of fences for Dune Beg, according to the headline in the Irish Examiner. But there's also some 300 military personnel uh, who are offering protection uh, to uh, the President of the United States on his visit here. The difference between the members of the Defence Forces and the Guardi is the rates of pay, the topic that we're going to discuss now. Uh, members of the Guardi can earn up to €1,100 after tax in overtime, where members of the Defence Forces, it would seem, can earn a maximum of €166 before tax. That's compared to that 1100 after tax for the Gardaí. There's a phenomenal difference. Why is that the case, do you think? Well, first of all, Michael, uh, I do welcome uh, uh, President Trump. Uh, I think America has done an awful lot for Ireland over the last uh, you know, centuries or such. I mean, like, uh, he's, he's the leader of the country and I think it, it's, it, I'm d- delighted to see that uh, that the Taoiseach has shown respect by meeting him and discussing the, the situations about the Brexit and all of the, all of the serious matters and about jobs in Ireland and jobs in America, about the visas and everything else. And I think, I think to me, that's a major plus. Uh, as an ex-soldier myself there at the moment, is uh, I think that the army is definitely, is completely and totally underrated in this country. Uh, they do a fantastic job. Like if you, if you look over the last, even the last number of months with the Storm Ophelia and Storm Emma, mm. like, uh, like, when, when, when this country has an emergency, the first people to call upon is, is, is the army. And even if you look at the Pope's visit there last, last August, like the amount of army personnel that was, that, was the, that was deployed in the Phoenix Park and they were away from their families for three days and I believe they earned 68 euros. Like the, the army do a fantastic job. Like as, myself as an ex-soldier, I realise what it's like to be a soldier. I, you, you've been 24 hour duties. Mm. You could be sent away to a week down to the cover. You could be sent anywhere with no extra pay. I remember at the time of uh, doing, doing border duties out there in, uh, in Dramadin or Savannah areas. You could be in duty there for 12 hours and you'd be lucky to get maybe one or two sandwiches. And the next thing you'd be seeing the local hotels coming out, uh, uh, giving the guards and everybody else their, their, their turkey and hams and their steaks and everything else. Uh, I, think, I think it's time, Michael, now that, that we stood up and, 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 and appreciate the, the good work that the, that the army has done. Like if you go back to the 1970s when, when, when we had serious troubles around the border, mm. like, uh, the, the, the number of the, of the army was increased and the job they'd done was absolutely fantastic. You know what I mean? Like, 
and uh, and I, I I think it's an awful disgrace. But uh, we saw this recently with uh, the number of uh, members who are leaving the force, uh, and they're leaving faster than they can recruit them. And there's uh, far fewer members of uh, the defence forces now than would have been the case uh, twelve months ago. But is this the reason for it? Uh, apparently, over the three and a half days, uh, they're going to earn a maximum of 166 euro. That's uh, just under 48 euro for a 24 hour shift and just under 24 euro for less than 24 hours, which is 166 euro, which uh, will be taxed then. The big problem I see, Michael, at the moment is uh, young people join the army and they join the army as a career. And the last thing they're thinking about is money. They go into the army, they, they get fed, they're well looked after. Eventually they meet a partner or a wife, they can marry little children. And it's only then to realise that, that there's, there's something I say this world, like they, they think on money. Like, like if you look now, uh, at the, if you go back to January the 1st, 2019... Uh, but it's probably the same no, sorry, regards, sorry, isn't it? There's, there's mm-hmm. less than 8,500 mm-hmm. personnel in the army, the air mm-hmm. corps and that there. Like it, to me, that's a disgrace. This government has given a commitment that the, that, that, that the army would definitely not drop below 9,500. Like if, if you look at it there at, at the moment, it, it, like the amount of army barriers that close there at the moment is... Like, like we have the price coming up now at the moment is. We've got domestic, we've got international terrorists. Even looking in Jordan at the area, Jordan at the moment is. Mm. Like you look at the bombs and everything else. At the minute anything goes wrong, whether it's, whether it's the, 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 the bomb disposals in Dublin or in surrounding areas, the army are always the first to call around. Mm. And if you look at even, like, I was contacted there during the week there by a naval personnel, and he, 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 he can't get over. We went away, this government went away and bought three new ships recently, mm. spent £50 million per ship. Well, we have to spend more. Yeah. We have to spend more on ships, on tanks, on guns, on equipment, and all of that because of our obligations under the EU PESCO agreement. Yeah, but what people forget is you, do, you need someone to operate these. Mm. And like, like, you look at the UN for the last number of years, is any time the UN are, 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 are setting up, the first country to contact is Ireland. And for the last number of years, we just don't have the personnel. Like, and in fairness, Ireland is probably one of the best peeping, peeping, uh, peacekeeping uh, armies in the world. And people want us there because, honestly, we are peacemakers. And like uh, over, the, over the years, I think it all started back in the Congo in the 1960s. Like We, we lost over 50 soldiers at the moment. Is, mm. And when I was in the army, uh, there was Private Mike McNeely who, 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 who was killed over there. And I'm just saying, this, like, people don't realise it. It's about time now that we stood up and be counted for the moment. Is Our army do a fantastic job. I'm not just saying it because I'm an, uh, I'm an ex-soldier. Like, if you look back at the last two battles that took place in re- mm. recent years over pay rise, the Guard of Threaten uh, strike... Uh, taught, taught the government to the wire and got a pay increase of approximately 50 million back in 2017. And then if you look then, the nurses went on strike mm. and what, what the nurses got, they got a new pay grades introduced in a way that the public sector in agreement. Listen, we have to look after our soldiers. We have to look after our teachers. We have mm. to look after our guards. We are. But like, if, you're willing, if we're willing to spend over a billion euros extra in the children's hospital, Basically, what we're doing at the moment is... But there's no intention, I don't think, to increase military personnel's pay. Uh, there, Taoiseach said recently uh, that there's uh, a review underway, uh, but that can't recommend pay increases. Uh, and he says he won't do anything until after that review is complete. Uh, it may recommend an increase in allowances and other payments, but not in core pay. Uh, uh, I- 
uh, last week in the Dáil, I raised I raised the mm. issue over a wage increase, and uh, the minister for uh, defence wasn't there, the teacher wasn't there, and uh, uh, minister had a Humphreys target, and uh, I, I've drawn about pay and conditions, and she gave me a figure of of uh, forty one thousand for uh, for soldiers and sixty four thousand for uh, for officers, and I'm I'm here at the moment, and I, I get on to the defence.ie, and I'm looking at uh, I'm, not, I'm I'm looking at pay mm. a pay wage at the moment is, and the start from two hundred and seventy eight euros the whole way up, and I'm saying, where is this coming from? I've put a, I've put a PQ in. And for once and for all, I think people need to know is how actually much of our soldiers getting. Like the soldiers doing barber duties there on the dog there on a Saturday. And they get roughly about 48 euros for doing that extra duty. Mm. And after taxes and everything else, they luckily get maybe a euro per hour. Like to me, like mm. that's not, like they'll be low the minimum wage, they'll be low the living wage at the moment. It's, and it's, as I said, he is, like the, with the brakes are coming up, and nobody knows the uncertainty with the banks at the moment. Is mm. uh, I'm on the justice committee there, uh, and I, I I've asked Minister uh, Charlie Fandigan about what's going to happen with resorts with the guards. I, I know there's no plan A and there's no plan B, mm. and uh, and the, the PNSI are going to get an extra 400 PSNI officers on the border. We have nothing, and what's going to happen then at the moment is when push comes to shove. And I hope it doesn't happen. Is that uh, we're going to call in the army? And as far as I'm concerned, is I don't think the army would be prepared. What about what about the other armies in this country? If we can go back uh, to the Trump visit and uh, the protests, uh, the Irish Times reporting today that 760,000 foreign soldiers have passed through this country in the past five years, and 25 flights carrying explosives from America to to Afghanistan went through the state. Uh, Is that reason for protest? Michael, everybody is entitled to a protest. Michael, I guarantee you, me and you could talk about six or seven different subjects of the day mm. and we would not agree on all them. I don't have a problem with anybody protesting. But you, you go back to the army, the moment is, the army have no rights. The mm. army's but you, you, you talk about uh, um, peacekeeping missions. Uh, are we becoming uh, an offensive country, a country that uh, will enter into offensive operations, uh, that uh, we will give up our neutrality? When you talk about PESCO and some of these other uh, European agreements. No, Michael, I, I don't. I, Michael, what ha- what, what's happening there in Shannon at the moment is, is an agreement that the Irish government has done for an awful long time at the mm. moment. Is. And a lot of people would agree to a lot of people disagree to Michael. And like, that, that, that's something that the Irish government has done. Uh, us as politicians has been been elected. Uh, a lot I, I, in the door does a lot of debates for it, a lot of debates against it. But Michael, I'm getting back to the, to the army there at the moment mm. and the army pay at the moment. Like it, 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 it's wrong what's, what's happening there. Our, our soldiers there at the moment is like as I said here, yeah, uh, they do a fantastic job. Uh, but the bags are coming up there at the moment. Is uh, as I said, yeah. I, I've asked Minister Charlie Flanagan about the guard situation. I've I've, I've asked uh, Minister Kuo about the army situation. Our government hasn't got a clue at what's happening at the moment. Is they're talking about maybe getting an extra uh, six or seven hundred personnel for doing costumes. All they seem to be keen at the moment is is how we're going to get you know finances out of this year. We have to look at, the, at at both sides of Brexit whether it's a plus Brexit or whether it's a negative Brexit we all know is that's one thing for sure is Ireland and the UK is going to benefit none of this here but we have to be prepared whether it's a soft border or a hard border and as I said here we've over 300 kilometres of, 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 of border to cover uh, hundreds and hundreds of, 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 of checkpoints will have to be set up and the first people is going to be called it's going to be the, the army Just while you're here and uh, before our time runs out and is uh, completely uh, just like to 
ask you about a, another issue because as a former Fine Gael TD, you know Maria Bailey quite well, I, I think, and uh, she's been in the eye of a, a storm. Uh, and another Fine Gael TD uh, is making news for similar reasons and the wrong reasons again today. Alan Farrell uh, is reported to, to have made a claim for €880 Euro repairs after a collision with his Audi, but the Irish Independent, at least, is reporting today that he dropped the claim for material damage after photos of the vehicle were shown in court. What do you make of that? Well, first of all, is uh, I think Maria, Maria, Maria Bailey made a big, big mistake. Uh, what she done was totally and utterly wrong. What she should have done was put her hands up and say she made a mistake, she's sorry, and move on. I don't actually know who gave her the advice. I believe the advice could be from a minister who's been involved there at the moment. Is uh, I know the government. Josephine Madigan. Uh, well, I, I don't want—I don't want to name someone that's not here at the moment. But uh, well, I mean, uh, it's been reported that yeah. uh, she—it's uh, believed that she may have been advised by Josepha Madigan's uh, law firm. Well, all I know is that the, uh, the Taoiseach has got a barrister to investigate the situation. Uh, I know uh, this week it's supposed to get a full report on Maria Bailey. Uh, she, as I said, she should have put her hands up and 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 apologise for what she done. Uh, uh, Adam Fowl, I seen the photograph in 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 the news last night. Uh, to be honest, I think what Adam Fowl done was totally utterly wrong as well. I think he should put up his hands and apologise. I think there should be repercussions for these people for doing this here. The moment is, I don't think they should get off scot free. I think the T should uh, should 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 uh, call the two of them in and get it sorted once and for all. Us as polit- as politicians, we should be leading by example. I think what happened over the last few weeks there is. is it's not showing a good example. Uh, I have a lot of companies in in, in Dundalk, like even like even, even there recently, the, the trampoline park there last year in Dundalk. We had them on on, on LMFM. Uh, they were going to close close them because of claims. They found it very very hard to get an insurance company to take them on. Uh, the initial insurance was something like seven or eight thousand. Next thing it was increased to twenty five thousand because of claims. Uh, for some unknown reason, uh, our country has has got serious serious issues with uh, with, with claims. Uh, I listened to the news there the other night. There, if you get a whiplash in Ireland, you get twenty thousand euros. You get a whiplash in 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 the UK, it's four or five thousand euros. There's something something seriously seriously wrong with our system, and I think the sooner we get it, uh, I think Minister Darcy is trying to do his best. But I think I think it's time he put his hands up now and get it sorted once and for all. Uh, like we we seen an accident. I've looking at prime time during the week. There we seen all these setups and everything else. About car accidents. I would be honest, yeah. Uh, uh, in the last two years, I I got a calm uh, caught in my car mm. in case anything did ever happen. My good self there at the moment is because because uh, if, if, if there's only two people involved in an accident, it's one person's road against the other person's road. I think in a situation with the Maria Bailey situation now, I think the hotel that, she, that she's involved with has a camera, and I believe that that everything mm. she said uh, maybe wasn't true. But like if you, it, it's important. That you have the pub evidence there at the moment is, but Michael, listen. Just before we finish the program, Michael is a. Uh, I just want to state it again. I think that the, the Irish Defence Forces do an absolutely fantastic job. I think they're totally underpaid. I think the skills and and and, and the services that they give to the whole country, I think, is is, is second to none. As I said, the, the people who was involved with it, with Storm Ophelia and Storm uh, Emma, and and as you look, at Michael, over the years, Michael, as you know, the the, the army cam strike, and over the years we had bin strikes, we had we, we had uh, firemen strikes and everything else, and the army is always the first people to come in. I remember there back in my joy prison, there, 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 
the prison officer went on strike and who, who, was, who was called upon to give all the medical attention to the, to the, to the prison officer was the army. Okay. The army do a fantastic job. Yeah. Is I, I will be pleading with Minister Q and the Taoiseach to please, for once and for all, look after the men who serve in our country and our community well. Okay, thanks for coming into us uh, this morning. Independent TD for Louth, Peter Fitzpatrick. Michael Reed on LMFM. We've heard that young people share sexual images of themselves on the internet, but to what extent? Well, research from DCU indicates that 24% of 15 to 18 year olds have shared a sexual image of themselves with somebody else of their choice. Dr. Mairead Foody, who is a research fellow and has looked at this has been telling the World Anti-Bullying Forum in DCU that worse than that is a figure of 13% of young people in that age group, 15 to 18, who say that sexual images of them has been shared without their consent by somebody else on the internet. Nolene Blackwell is Chief Executive of the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre and she's on the line. And good morning to you, Nolene, and thanks for joining us. Uh, Did that statistic come as a, a surprise to you? No, it doesn't, because it does sound like at a whole lot of levels, people are becoming aware that uh, images that they have given to somebody else, photos, videos that they have agreed to put up, have been shared non-consensually. It's not something that comes up massively on the national helpline. We're not getting a large number of calls there, but when we talk to groups of young people, they're concerned about it. When we talk to their parents, they're concerned about it because they're seeing the impact of other people. And we run training courses for guidance counsellors, teachers, people working in alternative education settings, and all of them are very aware that this is an issue. And the other thing is that it has even been recognised at government level that this is an issue, that the fact that there is no proper legislation in place to deal with the non-consensual sharing of intimate images is a problem. So even if you go to the guards, the guards will take a report about something like that. Mm. But there's, it's so hard to bring a case against the person who has shared the image that because our legislation is so antiquated uh, compared to the rate at which technology is developing. And how does it happen? Is it as simple as, let's say, me sending you a, a photograph of myself in uh, whatever compromising position uh, and uh, you, we fall out and you decide to put it on Facebook or whatever? Yeah, so, so mm. that's part of it. Uh, so, so some images are taken without a person's consent at all. Uh, so, so these, you know, we've spoken before about mm. these things like upskirting yeah. and down blousing, where people take, they're, they're the peeping toms of this age, where people take photos of other people without them ever knowing it in the first place. But more regularly, and, and Mairead Foody in her presentation said, look, it's a simple part of 15 to 18 year olds uh, developing relationships that they will trade images of each other. But we are also hearing of cases mm. where people are being bullied into providing images that they're not comfortable providing. And we're also hearing that either for malicious purposes or because people literally think it's funny, 
but they will share an image of somebody online that where they do not have permission to do that. But a, a lot of it is the modern day equivalent of I'll show you mine if you show me yours, is it? Yeah, mm, exactly. Right, okay. So so mm. that so that's part of it. Uh, and then in a sense as well, so long as people know what they're doing and they're agreed, it's fine. It's where people abuse the the reason why they got those images. That actually turns into sexual abuse. Mm. And I think a lot of the people who share these images would be horrified to be called a sexual abuser. But that's what they're doing. They They have particular permission to look at somebody in an intimate way and then they abuse that permission. That is a modern day form of sexual abuse and and is deeply damaging to the person who hears about it. Because the other thing that um, Mairead Foodie's uh, survey showed, and it was quite a big survey, mm. I think it was 900 young people, was that 13% of them knew that images of themselves had been shared non-consensually. Now, the real worry is that some of them don't know that these uh, images are out there on the Internet uh, and that people don't know that they're there. And this is one of the issues that actually has come up recently, is that the damage is quite long term. Because where an image is shared non-consensually and somebody is hurt by that, they live with the worry and the dread that it can't be taken down from the internet permanently. Mm. And this is where in some ways as well, all the social media companies have their part to play. They must have a zero tolerance uh, attitude in relation to this. They must be very ready and very open to taking down images uh, where somebody um, complains that that an image is a non-consensual one. So they have a piece of work to do as well to ensure Mm. Now, they won't, they can't stop the harm happening that much, but certainly they can ensure that when it does happen, that it's taken down really fast. And that's one of, just one of the things that I think enough people don't know it, that most of the social media companies have policies in place that if you complain that an intimate image is non-consensual, then you can ask to have it taken down and the user blocked. And it's I, I not take, a solution, but uh, it's part of the answer. I, I take it if it is non-consensual, it is always harmful because no matter how gorgeous you might think you are or how gorgeous you actually are, if you send a photograph to somebody, uh, an intimate photograph of yourself, uh, if it's put online without your permission, you are the subject of ridicule. Exactly. And the problem is that it is an abuse of the reason why you got And it's an abuse of somebody else's body. It's not a physical abuse of it, but it is an abuse of the use of the body by somebody else. And that's an abuse of power. And an abuse of power is always harmful, is always hurtful. And so uh, that's another thing that I think maybe sometimes younger people maybe may not be as conscious of the damage they do when they share somebody else's image non-consensually. For the most part, people who are trading images are doing it in trust that if the relationship should not proceed, that the photograph will be deleted and also that that it will not be shared even during the relationship. So it's such an abuse of trust 
and an abuse of power and a, um, a, a controlling of somebody else's body at a distance. But it's not that big a distance anymore because so many young people live their lives online as well. That in fact sharing it online is one of the most damaging things you could do. So you're right to say that, Michael. It is actually deeply harmful. And, and we do need people to understand that. We need people to really understand the harm they do if they share images. But also, actually, we need the government. Um, the Minister for Justice was prioritising legislation to allow that kind of sexual abuse to be prosecuted if the need arose. But prioritising, saying you're prioritising is one thing, but we really need to see legislation in place. And we need to see a digital commissioner in place as well, somebody who sets ground rules for the companies so that they have codes of conduct whereby they can say, well, that's freedom of speech, where they recognise sexual abuse where it happens and where they stop it. Okay, well, before you leave us, Nolene, uh, we'll uh, just uh, guide people to your helpline if uh, people do want to speak uh, about uh, something that they were uncomfortable with. Uh, 1-800-7788 is uh, the number that's open 24 hours a day. Michael, I'll just go over it again. Mm. It's 1-800-7788. Oh, I beg your pardon. <laughs> I beg your pardon. one 800 Thank you indeed, okay. Nolene. Nolene Blackwell, Chief Executive Officer of uh, the Dublin Rape Crisis Centre. Michael Reed on LMFM. Last month, a group of uh, some 25 uh, doctors wrote uh, to the Irish Times concerned about cannabis use in uh, this country and how we may be sleepwalking into legalising cannabis in uh, this country. Yesterday, a separate group of uh, doctors wrote to the same newspaper, the Irish Times, uh, talking about medicinal cannabis, saying that there's many people who already benefit from using cannabis as a medicine and the vast majority of those are breaking the law and the process, which they say is inhumane and wrong. And the same group of doctors from Ireland, the UK, South Africa, Cambodia and Australia in their letter to the Irish Times yesterday urged the government to decriminalise all drug possession for personal use and adopt a health-led rather than criminal justice approach to the problem. Let's talk about uh, this with uh, Gino Kenny, who's a People Before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest and a very good morning to you and thanks right, for joining us. I take it you agree with the second group of doctors? Of course, yeah. And I think it's very important that there was a polemic uh, made in relation to the letter that was written on the 20th of May by the group of 20 doctors, which kind of set out to conflate the three issues of access to medicinal cannabis, decriminalisation of kind of personal drug use and legalisation of cannabis. Now, they are three different issues that should be kind of have treated different debates on it now. Obviously, I've been campaigning along with other other people, campaigning for access to medicinal cannabis. And people that have been campaigning for medicinal cannabis are infuriated that doctors went out to kind of make spurious claims that this is a Trojan horse to the wider debate around legalisation of cannabis. Nothing could be further from the truth. I, I set out three years ago to be very categoric that two issues, particularly around medical and recreation use of cannabis, should be separated. Um, now, obviously, that debate is ongoing in society and particularly and kind of uh, medically, which is a good thing. Uh, the, the letter yesterday was kind of well thought out, and it, it obviously delves into the issue of access to medicinal cannabis, mm. the decriminalisation and legalisation. So, they're, they're, again, they are three different issues, but mm. they do get 
uh, tied into one. But you, 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 you agree with uh, cannabis uh, being legalised for recreational use anyway. I, mean, I don't think you make any secret of that. No, no, no. no. Mm. I mean, I've, mm. I've said it many times that we should have uh, a grown-up debate about um, how prohibition has failed. Because uh, at the moment, cannabis is illegal. And this is the point that the doctors who wrote uh, to the Irish Times yesterday make. Uh, they say that we need to learn how to talk to young people, explore why they're taking drugs, rather than just say no, which would have been yeah. the Reagan policy. Uh, they yeah. talk about it being legalised in countries such as Canada and parts of America, Uruguay and Mexico, without uh, any adverse effects. Yeah, yeah. And obviously them countries have, uh, particularly Canada, have... Um, their policy has changed. So, I mean, we have a situation in Ireland and most European countries where this, um, particularly in Ireland, since I think 1977, the Misuse of Drugs Act has been in use and they basically, all illicit drugs are illegal. Now, particularly around cannabis, um, is readily available uh, in Ireland. Um, and that's under the kind of the paradigm of um, prohibition. Mm. But something obviously is not working. Now, whether you agree with the issue of legalisation or not legalisation, it's obviously not working. Because what's happened is that people, the demand for cannabis is uh, probably higher than ever. Um, and people that are caught with small possessions of cannabis have to go through the criminal justice system. Uh, they could have a kind of, a, a kind of um, you know, they could have a, a police record afterwards. Mm. So... It should be a, a more health-led rather than a criminal, criminal justice-led. The doctors in their letter yesterday say they strongly yeah. oppose uh, it being criminalised. They, they say it makes no sense to criminalise uh, people who have small amounts for personal possession. Yeah. Uh, but if you legalise it, Gino, uh, will you get rid of the illegal market? Uh, will you get re- rid of uh, the cannabis that's uh, available now? Because there's a lot of people who talk about it being very, very strong now. And if you were to... Uh, legalise it, uh, you'd regulate, regulate it yes, uh, and yes. it'd be like people uh, who wanted a bottle of whiskey who would only be able to get a bottle of beer in terms yeah. of strength. Yeah, I mean at the moment I mean if, if tomorrow they all of a sudden say cannabis was legal, would that take the black market and the criminal element out of uh, the kind of the consumption of cannabis? It would. Would. I mean, there would be all would it be strong enough market. for people who were using it? That's the point I'm putting to you. Well, I mean, all the, most people, regardless of what, what they're looking for, will obviously looking for the type of cannabis, whether it's high strength, low strength, or middle strength. Mm. Um, but in an un- unregulated market, the people that are regulating cannabis at the moment are some. Some people are very quite unscrupulous, so they will, you know, you know, use pesticides, use all sorts of stuff to sell. Um, like wherever they're selling, mm. but so if, they can, if they continue to sell it because people want stronger stuff than you can buy legally, well then, yeah. there's not yeah. much point to it, is there? No, but you see, it's unregulated at the moment, and it's um, the the debate is: does the state then intervene to regulate it, tax it, and control it? Now, I would be of the opinion that that should happen, and uh, because prohibition has failed, um, if, if prohibition was set out to know, stop people consuming cannabis, stop people having it, stop people growing it. It has failed. And let's have that debate that it has failed. And we've got to look at a different policy about drug use in Ireland, drug use across the world, and why people take drugs in the first place. And Like the old kind of, I suppose, sayings of, you know, just say no, mm. and kind of, 
you know, what Reagan was saying and Grange Hill and all that stuff I was growing up with. Like, that has... It's old, old news now. Mm. We're going to look at different ways. Yeah, but look like, at the black market in cigarettes. Uh, I mean, you can go into yeah. a shop and buy cigarettes legally, uh, but lots of people buy them illegally because they're cheaper. Cheaper, yeah. yeah. So that, that exists, even in tobacco, mm. even in alcohol. So there'll always be a black market for certain things. But largely, largely, if... Again, in the hypothetical situation, if cannabis was legalized tomorrow, it would largely, largely take uh, the criminal element out of it. And it would take people away from the criminal justice system. Uh, and that makes sense to me. Any, anything that kind of takes people from the criminal justice system um, and, you know, being more educated um, than, you know, at the moment, uh, I think that would be a better system than it is now. And will there be more cases or fewer cases of psychosis? Well, see, Mike, I mean, you can't, you know, people that use cannabis, right, the vast majority of people that use cannabis will not, you know, uh, be in a situation of psychosis. There, are, there is an element that people that use copious amounts of cannabis could run into mm. a situation where they could have, they could have a, dis- dis- a predisposition to a psychosis. But the vast majority of people that use cannabis will never be psychotic. You know, it's like the vast majority of people that use alcohol, they will never be end up as an alcoholic. You know? Um, so there is, there is I mean, in anything, like sugary drinks, um, drugs, um, alcohol, tobacco, if you will overuse it and abuse it, you know, you could run into trouble. Okay. You will have, uh, you will have a health kind of um, situation. So we have to have this grown up debate. And it's good that we're having that debate. Um, and this is kind of the, the ongoing debate in society okay. about the issue of um, drug use and Well, that letter from doctors across the world feeds into it. Uh, that was published yesterday. We have to leave it there, though, Gino. Thank you indeed for joining Thanks, us Mike. on the programme this morning. Gino Kenny, People Before Profit TD for Dublin Midwest, brings our programme to its conclusion. God willing, we'll see you for our next programme tomorrow morning at 9am on LMFM. Good morning. Bye-bye. The Michael Reed Show podcast. Tune in weekdays from 9 on LMFM. To contact us, email now. Michael at lmfm.ie. When your skin feels nourished and glows, you radiate confidence. Osea makes giving your skin a glow up easy with their clean, clinically proven Mega Moisture Duo. This seaweed-powered duo features two of Osea's best sellers, Andaria Algae Body Oil and Andaria Collagen Body Lotion. Glow from the inside out. Get 10% off your first order with code GLOW at oseamalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A-Malibu.com, code GLOW.